Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and you're listening to Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. Today on the program, I speak with comedian and writer Mae Wilkerson about her experience with ADHD and depression. Here she is talking about accountability and ADHD. Get up like an accountability person like don't try to do stuff alone if if possible like even just go to your friend's house who is also writing jokes or a screenplay or whatever you're or sculpting or whatever you do like find a friend who also wants to work on something and then like go to their house covid safe wear a mask whatever but like find a partner who can be in the same room as you or even like my friend my writing partner and I like don't see each other because of COVID so we're just we just do it on the phone um but like having somebody else around like really 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 helps just like knowing like somebody else is waiting for me to finish this I'm gonna be able to check in with them when I'm done that kind of thing like I really think like solitude is is like a real tough one for the ADHD brain This podcast is made possible by Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller and receive early access to the rest of this season, along with a bunch of other content for and about mental health. Our theme song is by Billy Conahan. It's To Be or Not off the album Leaping with Intent to Fly. Available wherever fine music is sold. All right. Let's get to this interview. So, thank you for doing this. When did you start doing stand-up? I started doing stand-up in 20, I guess it was like early 2014 or late 2013. Okay, and, and how did that start? Um, I always wanted to do, I always wanted to be a comedy writer. And mm-hmm. I always had a fear of performing like so many people. And But I kind of knew that if you want to learn to write jokes, you have to perform them on a stage, or at least that's a good way to get better at it. And so, um, yeah, I had a friend who also wanted to do it, and we just went to an open mic together. I mean, this was after years of, like, right. I had so many joke notebooks at this point that were... Really? Yeah, they were all full of trash, but they were... <laughs> full of trash which I yeah got to then try out but I I had been like wanting to do it for years before I actually did it oh well uh and did you grow up and like since you wanted to be a comedy writer I assume you were like really into comedy as a kid yes yes I mean I was really into comedy like I was really into sitcoms when I was a kid Mm -hmm. and then I discovered like George Carlin when I was a teenager and Bill Hicks and all of those like angry white guys, like <laughs> angry white guy. I was really into angry white guy comedy, um, like so many people. And, yeah. and, um, and then, you know, the, there like weren't that many female comics when I was growing up, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but I was into those too. Yeah, it seems like there's been a real plethora of them now which is great yeah there's been a boom there's been a boom yeah which is good because I just remember being like I mean Sarah Silverman and Ellen and I guess Wanda Sykes um those were like the three that I remember from when I was really young same so you started doing it in 2014 and was that in uh, New York 
Yes, I lived in New York City. I'm in LA now, so I wimped out. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and is comedy what brought you to New York? Yeah, I always was like New York City is where television is made mm-hmm. and I want to make television, so I'm going to move there. But I didn't have like a real game plan. Okay. We met doing a podcast called Lady HD uh, with our friend Jen Welsh. And Mm -hmm. you didn't get your diagnosis until pretty recently, right? Yes, I was in my early 30s. It was a few years ago. Yeah. And was it kind of like a road to Damascus, like, oh, everything makes sense now? Yes. Yes. It was like, I'm really into detective, like, series and, and mysteries. And I love that moment where you're like, oh, all the clues make sense now. And then you like have to go back and be like, and there was an Easter egg and there was an Easter egg. And that's exactly how it felt with my ADD diagnosis. Because I had all these other like mental health issues that I struggled with. And obviously not all of them are directly related to ADD, but I think most of them are, honestly, like at least indirectly. Yeah, like what? Well, I have really bad anxiety Mm -hmm. and depression Mm -hmm. And uh, and addiction issues. Uh, I mean, I'm an addict. Yeah. It's, I'm like making it sound so vague. Um, <laughs> okay. I am an alcoholic, <laughs> capital A. Uh, and another yeah. A. No. <laughs> another A, yeah. All the A's, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just like struggled with like, but I also always felt that feeling of just like, that every ADD person has where I'm just like, I don't feel like I'm living up to my potential. I have so many things I want to do. I, I'm starting them. I'm never finishing them. Even in stand-up, I, stand-up really helped me in a way because it was like deadlines every day. It was like, okay, you have to be on stage at 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. so you need to f- finish something. <laughs> you need something to say. Otherwise, you're going to sh- – truly, like the stakes could not be higher than for stand-up. It's like if you don't finish something, then you're going to be s- publicly shamed in a room full of people <laughs> yeah. tonight at 8 o'clock. And so then all day I'm like, ah, like just like losing it, trying to like focus on these joke, you know, setups and punchlines and stuff. <sighs> stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so stand up like kind of helped, but I was, I really wanted to write more than just jokes. And I just had such a hard time, like really focusing on anything and like really finishing things was always my struggle. Yeah. I, and was it there since you were like a kid and like all, all of these issues? <sighs> yeah. It's hard for me to pinpoint like when it kind of became a problem when I was a kid because um, like a lot of people with untreated ADD, I had a really sort of like structured childhood. Like, um, and also I was given, like my parents really nurtured my imagination yeah. and they're hippie <laughs> or at least my mom's like a hippie. So it was a lot of like, think outside the box, mm-hmm. like do your, you know, she just like celebrated me having sort of like an untraditional, I guess like learning, like way of learning things. And I was, like, really good at some things. I was really, like, I loved reading. I would, I would hyper-focus on reading. So I read a lot. But then I kind of struggled in school a little bit in certain areas and not others. And so it was more like, ugh, I don't know. It was, it, was, it was like I really excelled in certain, and I know this is probably common with ADD. I, like, really excelled in certain ways. And so I got a lot of accolades from that. And then both my parents and teachers kind of overlooked some of the problem areas Mm -hmm. because of that so like one of my big problems was just like paying attention in class and I was always 
like kind of starting shit. But I was so well-intentioned and I was so apologetic when called out that I kind of got away with it. I was like, (laughs) like I would would just be talking to my friends and like passing notes and making jokes and the teacher would be like, May, stop talking. And I'd be like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It will never happen again. And I was so clearly like genuinely remorseful that that teachers were always like, ugh, it's fine. Just like. Please don't let it happen again. I remember teachers literally in high school, I had a teacher like beg me. She like pulled me after and she was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I really like you and you clearly want to do well in this class, but you have to stop talking. <laughs> and she, they, she was just like really nice about it. But And some teachers really hated me too. Like I, I definitely had contentious relationships with certain teachers my parents were always like confused because they were like it's weird like she does well in school but why do certain teachers like always send her to the principal's office and she's like it was it was like a lot of good and bad in school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and did that carry through to like college in your like 20s College things went completely off the rails because I went to a really big school where not a single teacher or professor was going to take the time to beg me to pay attention mm, and lecture. Mm-hmm. Like I went to I went to McGill, which is in Montreal. It's a huge school. It's kind of like the NYU of Canada. It's like just like really big, huge lectures, like 300, 400 people in my classes my first year of college. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, not only did I not pay attention, but I stopped going to class. Like, it was such a struggle. I could never get my work done. I Anytime I had a paper, I was an English major, so I had to write these papers. Anytime I had a paper due, I would truly stay up all night um, crying because I was so anxious about not being able to finish it. I started smoking cigarettes because that, I found, helped me pay attention. Yeah. So I'd just be staying up all night just, like, smoking and smoking and smoking, yeah. crying. <laughs> <laughs> College was great. It was a blast. It's a real good time. <laughs> real good use of my money. Um, so glad that happened. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was kind of, like academically, college was was a real nightmare. Mm-hmm. That that I mean that makes sense. I mean, and did you? Yeah. When you, when you spoke briefly about like having depression, do you think a lot of it comes from that frustration of 100%. setting your own standards and not being able to meet them because of the attention deficit? A hundred percent. Like all I wanted was to be a writer. And I, and I just remember hearing people say over and over again, I have writers in my family, like writers write, writers write. If you're a writer, you'll write. And I was like, I'm not writing. (laughs) I want to be, it's not fair. Why can't I write? Like I just, I knew that I wanted to do so many things I wasn't doing. I felt very creatively unfulfilled which doesn't, it seems like a luxury problem, and it is. I mean, I'm very grateful that, like, my biggest problem in life is, like, I'm not pursuing my art. But, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, that is for sure a first world problem. But it uh, is a problem nonetheless. And I was always doing these kind of, like, dead-end jobs that just didn't feel like they were so boring. And I just remember going into, like, I worked in customer service a lot. I was, like, a a receptionist. Like, jobs where I had to do a lot of busy work all day in New York. And those jobs were, like, torture. Like, mental torture. I've never been so miserable as... And people would be like, oh, you're so lucky. You don't have to do anything. You just, like, sit at a desk Uh all day. And I was like, I mean, truly, I can't even... I'm like... And yet I want to die every second I'm stuck at this desk yeah. and I can't leave. And and I remember just thinking like, 
why am I so upset about having this job? Like I have, I can pay my bills, you know, it's New York, so barely, but like, I'm like, I have a job. I should be so grateful. Like I have food to eat. Why am I so upset? And it was like, because I was so restless and bored from like having this brain chemistry that's just like not well suited to that environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how do you circumvent the, the attention with writing now? Well, I take medication, mm-hmm. which just really helps. Um, I I just recently watched this video about ADD, and somebody described it as like glasses for your brain. Yeah, yeah. Which is like such a great analogy. I hadn't heard that before, and that's exactly how it felt. It was like as soon as I started taking this these meds, it was like, oh, I can I can actually finish things now. I can I can focus, um, and so that really just helps me. Like I just uh, am more able to. Um, get things done. I still need structure. So like I write with a writing partner. I have like two writing partners who um, I collaborate with and that really helps. And then also setting like debt, like my writing partner and I will, will be like, okay, we're going to write for the next two hours and then we'll check in with each other. We'll like write for 20 minutes and then check in, write for 20 minutes and then check in. And that kind of structure really, really helps. And then I also, I have a, I'm like a blogger Mm -hmm. for work and that's helpful too because it's like short, short. Art. I write short articles. They all have deadlines, um, and I have to like turn them over. And I'm working in like a again a structured environment. So that's really crucial for me. I can I can get a lot done as long as I have some kind of framework. Yeah, yeah. And does the depression get in the way too? I mean, I also take medication for depression. Yeah. Um, very yeah thank you big pharma for my entire <laughs> oh, <I'm> life <laughs> constantly at war with myself of like i, do I know need this to feel better but i don't want to support this industry <laughs> i know i'm just like thank you evil rich white men you're the only reason i get out of bed yeah. and yet you're destroying the world um very confusing and conflicting but one of the good things about capitalism is uh, the pharmaceutical industry in terms of how it's helped some of us us specifically i know that there's like a lot of over medication with add meds but um that hasn't been my experience mm-hmm. obviously i was like under medicated for so long that i'm just like oh thank god um but yeah so i take meds which do help with depression i still get depressed especially like you know life is full of depressing <laughs> things like pandemics and yeah, yeah. um it's and also sometimes I just get depressed for no reason at all. It just hits. Um, but I find it's like a lot less now that I'm kind of like very go- like goal oriented and I'm a lot more productive and that being productive is the number one best remedy for my depression is like, you know, I'm lucky that it hasn't gotten so bad recently that I haven't been able to create because that can happen too. Like I've definitely had times where I was like, I'm too depressed to write. I'm too depressed to do anything. And the med, I think the meds help me from getting to that mm-hmm. point. And then it's like, if I can like constantly be working on stuff and writing and like creating stuff, then I don't fall too deep. Mm-hmm. When you were doing stand up, was it difficult to focus on stage or the opposite? 
No, I think Jen, I think we talked about this on Jen's podcast Mm -hmm. that like there's something about the high stakes of stand up and like the fact that you're in this room with all of these other people that just like forces you to focus. I don't know if it's like that it forces you to or if it's just like, I don't know, but there it's definitely one of the places where like I was, I've never I've never been more present than mm-hmm. when I'm on stage telling jokes. The struggle for me was always, like, writing jokes and planning my set and, like, that kind of thing. Well, how do you do that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for years I did it without medication. Yeah. Um, so it was really hard. I would walk. Like, walking is something that helps me focus, and I still do that now. Like, my apartment has, like, a circle. There's, like... The way that it's set up, I can walk in a circle around my whole apartment. (laughs) There's, like, two hallways on either side. And so I, like, when I'm writing sometimes and, like, trying to come up with things, I'll just, like, walk in circles, um, which is probably really annoying for my downstairs neighbors. (laughs) But it's, like, the only – I'm, like, I'm sorry. I got to create. Um, No, I try to be quiet. But, like – I would walk a lot in New York. I would take these, like, two, three-hour walks and just, like, write jokes and then just stop and, like, write them down on, like, a notebook and then keep walking. Mm -hmm. Because if I was, like, sitting, then I couldn't really focus. And then another thing that helped, which is, like, really common, is just going to coffee shops or, like, being around people. If there's other people around, then I'm, like, less likely to procrastinate. Hmm. But that's hard, too, and I would always be, like, move. I would go to one Starbucks, and then I would have to move to another Starbucks and then move to, like, another coffee shop just because it was, like, it's really hard for me to sit still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when did the addiction thing start? Um, I think addiction... I mean, drinking was, like, never a good thing for me when I started... I started drinking when I was a teenager, and, like, the first time I ever drank, I blacked out. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so that's, like, a pretty good sign that you shouldn't be drinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to forget, like, three hours of your night. It's just not a healthy mm-hmm. way to live. Um, and then, but I still didn't drink that often. And then when I went to college, I started drinking more. And it was, like, it became more part of, like, it was, like, everybody around me was drinking all the time. So I just started drinking all the time. Um, and I definitely was medicating my ADD and then also the subsequent anxiety and depression that I had as a result of or in correlation with my ADD. Um, alcohol was like just a way to just like my, my mind just felt like it was like running in circles all day and I was so exhausted. And then just, I remember at the end of the day, just having a drink or smoking pot was another one that would just like take it everything would just like shut off and it felt very like freeing yeah yeah and then I'd say it got out of control I mean I was really young when I quit drinking I was like 25 so uh, I would say it got out of control by like 20 21 yeah uh first time I tried to get sober was when I was 21 it was the day after my 21st birthday I was like I'm doing this and then I'm never drinking again and then it took a couple years to sort it out so I hear you Oh my God. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, I think too, I think I probably tried earlier than that too. And it's like, you have to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky bit of business to like go, okay, well now this is part of my personality and how I identify with myself. It's totally, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, and I remember thinking like, oh no, I'm going to have to get all new friends and like, 
I mean, you kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that's not, <laughs> obviously I have some, I had some friends who were like not big drinkers and they stuck around, but there are definitely people that I was like, what am I going to talk to with about this person? Like talk to about with this person if we can't get drinks together. And it's like, well, it turns out nothing. Yeah. So, oh, well. <laughs> you kind of reevaluate and go, well, were, were they good friends then, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then a lot of times those people show up um, at the secret meetings two (laughs) years later. That's that was a thing that happened like a few years into my recovery. I started getting messages and like running into people that I used to drink with and they'd be like, hey, you don't drink anymore. What's that like? And it's like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. good question. It's much better. Yeah, I can remember things now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, So you never did. You weren't drinking when you were doing stand up then. No, I was sober when I did when I started doing stand up. That, yeah. That's tricky. Like I, I'm same here, and that's like rough because mm-hmm. you get paid to drink tickets. Um, yeah. So true. You do get paid to drink <laughs> tickets. What a weird, cruel thing as a sober person. It's like you're paying me in like the one thing that I want and I can't have. Um, <laughs> this is torture, and I can't pay my rent with it. So. Yeah. Um, I, by the time I did stand-up, I, I wanted to do it so badly, and I'd been sober for a few years at that point, so I was like, I just didn't even care. I was just like, <laughs> I just, you don't have to pay me. I don't care that everyone is drinking. I don't care that I'm getting drink tickets. Like, I'm just so grateful that I'm actually, like, that I actually got the courage to do this. Mm-hmm. And it felt so good. And also, you do stand up, so you know this. It is a high. Oh, it is a hundred percent a high. So when you do stand up, especially if you have a good set, you feel so good after. You're like, I don't need your dumb drink ticket. <laughs> like I just got like blasted on stage just now, and I feel good enough until I get home, and then I'm just gonna like eat a couple of like you know pop tarts and <laughs> go to sleep, pass out in a bunch of crumbs. Yeah, one hundred percent. That I I yeah. find, and I would love to see if you're similar to this like. When I have a specifically when I have a particularly good set, it's really hard for me to want to get off stage because of that. Like it is a high and like that addictive Mm -hmm. part is like, oh, how how far can I keep this going? (laughs) They're lighting you like it's last call at a bar. (laughs) Like Get off the stage, Tristan. You're like, no, I'm not done. The night is young. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, that was my favorite, because I, I went to school in Montreal, and, like, one of the only things I knew how to say in French was le soirée jeune, which is, like, the night is young. And that was my favorite thing, to just, like, yell at all hours of night. <laughs> just, like, le soir, le soirée jeune. <laughs> just, like, such an alcoholic mentality. 100%. Like, you never want to go home. Yeah. I think... I think that's actually a kind of a profound statement with never wanting to go home because, you know, when you go home, who's there but you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. But and then you're drinking alone, and that's sad. Whereas when you're <laughs> out with your friends, it's like... Yeah, this is socially acceptable. This is normal. Yeah, it's totally socially acceptable to be da- dancing on the table at McDonald's <laughs> at 4 a.m. throwing ketchup packets at your friends. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a normal young That's person. That's a normal thing. way to hang. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I remember telling myself that all the time in college and like after just being like, I'm just fun. I'm just a fun <laughs> gal. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't swing from their roommate's Ikea lamp and break <laughs> it into pieces and then fall on the floor yeah. like Tarzan? <laughs> 
One of the worst just a things fun gal. Uh, a former friend of mine used to say was like, well, if you're in college, you can't be an alcoholic because it's college. And I'm like, that is the, that is like the brightest red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely can. Even, I mean, you can get away with like a lot of alcoholic adjacent behavior in college. That's for sure true. And I had a lot of friends who like drank way too much in college and then went on to lead like fairly normal lives and were able to cut back. So props if you can do that. But there was always people in college who were like clearly had a problem. <laughs> like yeah. if you're if you have a if you're in college and people are worried about you, then like you're really fucked. Like you should not have like twenty year olds being like, "Hey man, are you? Oh no, you need help." What would your biggest piece of advice to someone who is dealing with ADD and like work ethic stuff be? Get up like an accountability person oh. like don't try to do stuff alone if if possible like even just go to your friend's house who is also writing jokes or a screenplay or whatever you're or sculpting or whatever you do like find a friend who also wants to work on something and then like go to their house covid safe mm-hmm. wear a mask whatever but like find a partner who can be in the same room as you or even like my friend my writing partner and I like don't see each other because of COVID so we're just we just do it on the phone um but like having somebody else around like really 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 helps just like knowing like somebody else is waiting for me to finish this I'm gonna be able to check in with them when I'm done that kind of thing like I really think like solitude is is like a real tough one for the ADHD brain Mm mm-hmm and also, like, yeah, treat, go, get, get, get medicated if you can. Yeah. And find the right medication because there's, like, different meds. Like, some of them didn't work for me. Um, and, like, yeah, find, like, the right, like, combination of medication and, like, talk therapy that works for you. Was it uh, difficult going through so many different medications? Um, not really because I was just, like, so grateful to have a diagnosis. I was so shocked and like couldn't believe it. And then it really did feel like kind of like Goldilocks and like the three bears. <laughs> it was like this one's too much this way, this one's too much this way, and then this third one was like, "Oh, this is just right." And it was like that glasses thing where I was yeah. just like, "Oh, I can I can think clearly. I can finish thoughts. Like I don't feel panicking just like sitting just sitting." Mm-hmm. I mean, I still can barely sit sit still, but like, um, ah, God, just like such a relief to to know what the problem is and like be able to try and treat it. Not that like medication, as you, I don't know if you're if you have, if you have ADD too, but like, yeah, yeah. okay, medication like isn't like the fix. It's not the cure all, um, but it's like one thing that I've found immensely helpful. Yeah, yeah. What's tricky about my situation is I have bipolar disorder, and so, like, they mm-hmm. can't give me any stimulants. Otherwise, I mm-hmm. will lose my mind. And so it's, like, finding the right balance of, like, okay, if I have four cups of coffee and a clonopin, there we go. Like, then I'm cruising. <laughs> and that's essentially, like, socially acceptable speedballing, which is its yes, own thing. Yes, it really is. Yeah, totally. Um, and then, yeah, you crash after. Coffee's a tough one for ADD people because it's, like, so addictive. It is, like, a shot of stimulant. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the crash is really tough. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's deeply frustrating. I've tried to quit several times, but then I just got to a point where I'm just like, screw it. This is just who I am, mm. you know. Um, Same. And and speaking of that, I was like, were you worried when you started getting medicated that it would be an addictive thing? Definitely. I was so nervous. I was like, I, I, I was like, I'm so scared. Like, I don't even take, like, NyQuil. Like, I was just like, why, like... But the one thing that I found comforting was that um, I never, like, abused uppers. Mm. Um, I guess other than cigarettes. Like, I was a smoker, and that's a stimulant. But um, I was always, like, a downer girl. Like, alcohol, weed, like, the few times that I got my hands on, like, painkillers. Like, I was just, I was, like, blotted out. Mm. And then I I never really got into, like, cocaine um, or, like... I never like abused. I remember taking, I remember someone gave me Adderall once and I took it and then I just like wrote an article <laughs> overnight. Like, I like left the party and went home and wrote, finally wrote this article that I'd been like putting off forever. Yeah. Um, and there was no part of me that was like, I can't wait to write another <laughs> article. Like <laughs> I really like yeah. associated. And that's how, I, that's exactly how I feel about my stimulant, my, my ADD meds. Like, I've never once taken above the recommended dosage ever because it's like, it's like doing homework. <laughs> like, I'm just like, now I have to take this drug so that I can like do my work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm actually, it doesn't make me high in any way. It just like makes me focused. And if anything, I'm like, if I want to be like silly and like go crazy and like party with my friends, I like don't want to take yeah. my medication. Does that make yeah. sense? It's like there's because I'm like sillier and more like all over the place and like kind of like life of the party when I'm not medicated. And then when I am medicated, I'm just like, OK, and now I am going to work on my screenplay. Mm-hmm. Like it's like <laughs> not a it's not like a fun space to be in. Yeah, I, I I've never done cocaine. And one of the main reasons is like I know it would like focus my mind and then everyone else would be behaving the way I do normally. And I never want like. Yes that level of self-awareness yes that's exactly how I felt about cocaine I was always like I feel like it sobers me up too much like I I didn't understand why people were so into this drug (laughs) yeah um were you worried when you started taking medication that it would like alter your personality and like who you are no but it totally has (laughs) (laughs) all right it never occurred to me but like now that I say that I'm like it totally has because the way that I describe myself like wow the way like the way that I am unmedicated is like a little I'm like a toddler I'm just like running around everyone's like oh may like that's like the common refrain I feel like in my life like pre and post medication it's just like I'm like dancing on the sidewalk I'm like being loud at the restaurant it's just like I'm very, I'm like, I'm hyperactive Mm -hmm. and that, and like silly. And like that, I guess is like fun, I guess it it, because like, I'm a woman in my thirties, like my mid thirties at this point, it's like kind of weird. I'm like, people tell me a lot that I have like ant energy and that's just like, (laughs) just like, you're just like kind of not like a little bit like quirky. It's like, you're not really like playing by the rules or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm probably over, I'm probably over exaggerating like how fun I think I am. Um, <laughs> probably not as fun as I think, but like, I don't know. This is fun. When, so. 
<laughs> okay, thanks. But then when I'm on medication, I'm like a lot more focused on on my career and like I got to I want to do all the things that I didn't get to do and I want to read I re- like read a lot more. Um and I don't I don't know. I don't think I'm not funny. I think I can still be funny, but I think I'm like more I just think I'm less like hyperactive, less like wacky. Yeah. Um which might be a bummer for other people. I don't know. Nobody's like complained, which is nice. <laughs> or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a relief. Maybe they were like, God, you were so embarrassing and like so annoying and like you finally calmed down, which is Do you miss nice. that? Do you miss being wacky? No, because I can always go off my meds. Okay. So it's just like in your back pocket you can always Yeah. Okay. I probably I probably like overly think that like it's there's there's definitely gotta be a psychosomatic element mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. where I take a medication and in my mind I'm like the Incredible Hulk. I just like immediately transform into this like more focused, like, you know, grounded person who's like more present. Um, So I don't know how much of that is legitimate. And then if I don't take my medication, I just feel like silly and like crazy and hyperactive. But I don't know if that's just like my how much of that is just like in my mind. Yeah. With your, I think one thing you learn when you get sober is that like you think that substances have like a have more of an effect on yeah. your personality than you realize. Like anyone who's ever been to like a fellowship with like other sober addicts and you go to a diner together and after like a few diet cokes and like a banana split, everyone's just like bouncing off the walls, like being oversharing, mm-hmm. like being really loud, annoying the waiter, <laughs> but like also being polite and like tipping well and stuff yeah. like you're like you're like more of like a responsible human but you're still like that kind of goofball like weirdo person like people think that they need alcohol to like unlock that and a lot of people like do but you actually once you take away the alcohol you kind of like can learn to unlock that side of yourself yeah 100 percent. and that's probably true of add meds too it's like i'm sure at some level i'm just like the same person with or without them but i like think they affect my personality more than they do mm-hmm yeah. Do you think it um, comes from like your mom being kind of a hippie and like a kind of character? Do you think it's genetic in that way? Um, me being wacky? Yeah, you being wacky and fun and like maybe the, <laughs> the, the ADD and that sort of thing. I mean, my mom also has ADD. Okay, I don't so know if she would appreciate me saying that on a podcast, but um, she doesn't listen to podcasts, so she won't know. Um, <laughs> I can cut it out if you want. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think everyone's like kind of wacky if they just like let themselves be who they are, and that like the fact that I was like that that side of me was always nurtured. Like my parents are definitely like a little different, and I always felt different growing up. But now I now I like that I've seen more of the world. I realize like oh, that's true of most people, and like certain people, it just like they are better at like hiding it yeah yeah because i feel like a lot of the what happens with like add is like the impulsivity thing and like mm-hmm. everyone has these kinds of thoughts but they just like oh i'm just gonna put that over here you know yes yes exactly and we don't have that impulse control so like whatever the thing is that we want to do we just do it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> You said the depression is like a coping mechanism for the ADD and you not so you see it that way and not the other way around of like the inability to focus causes the frustration and the anxiety. And so now that you're on 
medication has the like did it kind of naturally dissipate um or was it because you're also on antidepressants do you think i think it's probably a combination i suppose you can't separate it for yeah it's so hard to know because like after i started like after i got my add diagnosis like my life got better Mm -hmm. i I made like better Mm -hmm. decisions i started doing things that i really wanted and like things that would make me happy I also had seasonal affective disorder, which is so, so common. People that live in New York City or, like, live in places where it's, like, dark and you're not getting any sunlight. Yeah. I, I learned that I had, like, dangerously low levels of vitamin D and that that's, like, a huge depression trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, like, a pretty legitimate thing. And then once I moved to L.A. and I started getting a lot more sunlight, a lot my depression just got so much better and I used to be depressed from like December through March just like pretty bad (laughs) it was like really bad and I just kind of accepted it I was like well those three months are a write-off you know like (laughs) oh well (laughs) who you know who who needs to function for like a third of the year yeah um but then I moved to LA and like my depression got a lot better so a lot of times people are like what did you move to LA for like are you trying to make it in the industry I'm like I'm just trying to be, like, a functional person with, like, a normal amount of serotonin to, like, get through the day. Yeah. Um, and it really did – it really, really did help. So there's, like, so many different factors. And I started being more focused and more productive. Mm-hmm. And I, like – you know, just, like, a lot of things in my life got better in a way that made my depression better. So I still do get depressed, but it's, like, not as frequent um, and it's not as bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've always attributed the chip on on New Yorkers' shoulders towards people from Los Angeles is because people from Los Angeles have sunlight and mm-hmm. are happy because of it. That's always what I've assumed. It's just like, okay, you're jealous that people are happy out there. Are happy for sure because New Yorkers are like they like score they they look down on unadulterated joy. Yeah, and. <laughs> So do I, honestly, and I think I might have like I think I have I, I, I have a New Yorker soul. Yeah. Like there's a part of me that's just like, ugh, these LA people, they're so happy. <laughs> but then I'm like, but I also have like a cute dog and like a lot of house plants, and I'm like actually a pretty happy person. And so it's like, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm like a little judgmental of that in myself. Yeah. But what do you think the perception? What do you think the differences in perception between men and women, or you know, I suppose non-binary folks to a certain extent, um, mm-hmm. who have ADHD? How do you think it's different being a woman who has ADHD as opposed to a man? Well, that's a great question, and something I like have been thinking about a lot, um, like since I got diagnosed. I, I mean, I definitely know from what I've read and heard that like women just are wildly underdiagnosed because we tend to. Um, overcompensate and also like place blame on ourselves and also society just like doesn't recognize like those behaviors like it just I guess it just manifests differently in in girls um and it isn't as like as expected um so that's probably just like a major difference um how is it different in girls um I don't know I don't know I'm still I'm like still learning and um 
I mean, there it's definitely like being like really impulsive is probably not like as safe mm-hmm. for women mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Um, just because like the world's like a little bit more women and non-binary people, like the world's like a little more dangerous for us already. So maybe there's like a compensatory tendency that it's like, well, I like my survival mechanisms kick in and like, I try to like reel back some of these behaviors. Uh Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know. It's a good question. I'm still figuring it out. That's, you know, a good answer. Thank you. Yeah. Like you're still figuring it out. That's Mm -hmm. perfectly okay. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, um, that, that all makes sense for me and I have basically everything I need on my end but is there anything that I know you need to leave but is there anything else that you want to say before you go um no but I just like (laughs) I really like only that I really enjoy talking about this um because again like every time that I go over it like it does feel a little Mm self-indulgent for me to be like and this is my mental health journey Mm -hmm. but um (laughs) It is really nice to talk about it because it's just, like, incredibly validating to remind myself that, like, a lot of things that I was blamed myself for and, like, attributed to, like, laziness or personality flaws or character defects um, are, like, actually part of brain chemistry and, like, something that I didn't really have control over. And also I think it's really good that you have a podcast and are talking to people about this stuff because... I had no idea. I just had no idea. The, the idea that I would have ADD never once crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women probably, I, like, and one of my friends actually ended up getting diagnosed after me because she, when I told her, she was like, oh, that sounds like me. And I was like, actually, it really does sound <laughs> like you. And we had a lot of the same struggles. Yeah. And then she went to her psychiatrist and had the same experience of testing, like, really, really high. Yeah. Um, and... Also, like, her life, a lot of things, like, fell into place after that. So, like, I think it's just, like, one of those things that I'm glad people are talking about it. And I hope that more people are going to, like, have this realization that, like, if you have a lot of the same struggles that I do, like, you might also be, um, you might be ADD. Well, I want to thank you very much for being on. It was absolutely wonderful getting to speak with you again. Thanks, Tristan. It was really good to talk to you, too. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, thanks for having me. Bye.